The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. Thank you guys very much. Well, I invite your attention this morning to Mark chapter 13. Mark chapter 13, if you have your Bible with you, uh, that is where we will be. Or actually, Mark chapter 13. How about Mark chapter 12? Uh, That would be the better place. We're not quite to 13 yet, but Mark chapter 12 this morning as we get started. And uh, we look forward to our time together as we do. Again, happy Mother's Day to everyone here. And uh, as we get started, perhaps you can identify with what is before us. Because if you're a mother, you know these things are very true in your life. Or if you have a mom, uh, everyone has a mom, I suppose. But as it goes, if you're a mother, you know these things are true. Are you ready? You offer to cut up someone else's food. If you're a mother, you hide in the bathroom like this picture, although they will find you just to be alone. It's like your own vacation to go to the bathroom. You hope ketchup is a vegetable because you know that's the only one that your kids will actually eat on anything. And you read that the average five-year-old asks 492 questions a day, and you feel proud because you know your child is above average because you're really tired. (laughs) You might be a mom if you use your own saliva to clean your child's face. (laughs) You really might be a mom if you hear your mom's voice coming out of your your mouth, and you said, I would never do that. (laughs) You might be a mom when you stop criticizing the way your mother raised you. You might be a mom when you hire a sitter because you can't remember the last time you went out on a date alone with your husband, but you spend all your time trying to figure out what your kids are up to and are they really in bed and okay. (laughs) And you say at least once a day, I'm not cut out for this job, but if you're a mom, you know you would never trade it for the world. And one thing we also know to be true as mothers, uh, as mothers, I'm not a mother, but as mothers, you know all the time, you get asked, which is your favorite child? But you know very well that's not something that you can pick because each of them is a gift of God. And it's true, you may not have a favorite child. You try to treat all of them very equally. But, you know, it's very interesting, too, as we talk about Jesus, that Jesus is going to break some stereotypes that on Mother's Day we often have ourselves. That is that Jesus himself didn't and doesn't treat everyone equally. In fact, he doesn't. And in fact, like most moms, Jesus also has two voices. He has a voice that's very calming, and he has a voice that thunders from the heavens and gets people in their place. Moms, I know you've never done that before. (laughs) But with Jesus, he does not, like some moms, treat everyone equally. In fact, there's a difference, and he does have two voices. He has one for the sheep, and he has one for the wolves. He has one for the people who have a knowledge of the Bible, religious leaders, Pharisees, scribes, you name it, Sadducees, who are going to be told in a voice one way, but he also has a voice for the crowd. Jesus has a voice, as it were, that calls people to him compassionately and with much, much grace. And the biblical example of this is Jesus sometimes would call out in John eight forty four, as you'll see on the screen, he said, you and your father are of the devil. Uh, moms, you've never felt that way before, I'm sure. But he also calls them, you fools and you blind men, you blind Pharisees. Woe unto you, you Pharisees, you serpents, you brood of vipers. Jesus had the strongest 
words for those who did not have the right knowledge, at least according to him, the right knowledge to apply to their lives. Tori, are we doing okay up here? Okay, good. Thank you. And those who he cut slack to were actually the ones that didn't have all the knowledge. In fact, the woman who touched his garment, he said, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. To a young girl raised from the dead, he said, little girl, I say to you, get up and rise. And to the woman in adultery in John 8, he said, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. The two voices of Jesus. He had a different vocab and a different tone for each. But for those who were religious, for those who knew better, for those who should have known better, he struck and spoke the strongest. Two sets of vocab, two tones of voice, one for the sheep and one for the goats, if you will. And so, friends, that's the question I want to bring before you on a Mother's Day. And as a pastor, can I just be honest for a minute? It's really hard. Do you preach a Mother's Day sermon that's nice and flowery and it's all great and rose petals? And then you get to Father's Day and it's, Father, straighten up, you know, go to blah, 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 blah. You know, what do you do? So we're just going to preach the word of God today. But I do want to remind you that our Lord does treat people differently. And he does so because he does it with the greatest care, the sovereign care that we have. And so through these voices of Jesus, are we growing in the knowledge of Christ? Are we unmoved like the, the Pharisees in our apathy? Do we hear our master's voice and follow him, or are we deaf and blind and choosing our own way? And today's big idea, the big summary of the whole sermon is simply this. God has not called us to entertain the goats, but to feed the sheep and to tell the goats to become the sheep. And you'll see that in the passage today. Because, friends, it's not necessarily unloving to speak harshly. In fact, it often shows the great love that we have like Jesus had. But God requires us to know what is true and what is right. And today we're going to see these leaders taking a woman, advantage of a, an old woman, and Jesus is going to call them out for it. He doesn't treat everyone equally. And that's why, and I'll say it again, I am increasingly glad for churches that make church boring. Did you catch that? Are you awake? You want to know why? Because we rehitch ourselves back to the word of God, the prayer, and all those things. And we keep up the church with gut-spilling prayer. Do you know how countercultural like Luke's churches are going to be? It's going to revolutionize everything. So I don't come with a flowery sermon today. We come with the word of God. Amen? And mothers, that's enough for you. Fathers, that's enough for you. And fathers, we might pound the pulpit a few times on Father's Day. But I hope it's because we're going to cheer you on closer to Jesus. But the one thing I want you to know. Today, we need to be reminded of what false teaching looks like because the two voices of Jesus call this out. And today, I want you to see two simple points that we need to identify false teachers by is their prideful appearances before others and their predatory actions toward others. And this whole section is about people who knew better but took advantage of those who didn't. People who should have done this but did this anyway because that's what they were taught to do. So, friend, if you're able this morning, in sake of uh, God's honor, if you will, if you're able to stand, would you join us in reading God's word? Just six short verses today. Mark chapter 12, verses 38 through 44. And I'll be reading out of the ESV this morning as we start. You're going to see two different headings probably in your Bible. Jesus uh, connects these two. These aren't two separate instances. They're actually the same. And we'll get there and unpackage that this morning. Hear God's word today. 
And in his teaching, Jesus said, verse 38, Beware of the scribes who walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplace and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses for a, for a pretense and make long prayers. They will receive greater condemnation. And while he did this, he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people, putting money into the offering box. Many rich people came with large sums, and a poor widow came and put two small copper coins in, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor woman has put in more than all those who contribute to the offering box. For they all contribute out of their abundance, but she came out of her poverty and has put everything she had, all she had to live on. How are these two stories connected? How do we see the two voices of Jesus we're going to see it very clearly because he identifies for us two things about false teachers and two things we need to be reminded of. And mothers, this is the best thing your Mother's Day can have, is that you know how to instruct your kids, your grandkids, about what is true and what is not. So will you pray with me this morning? So good to see you. Let's bow our heads together as we continue to worship this morning. Father, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for Brother Luke and Anya. What such encouragement, Lord that the secular youth culture is being engaged with the gospel through Steiger, through so many other venues. And, Lord, we pray you bless their efforts. Lord, we pray for these new converts both here and all around the world, that as we go forward we would not be duped by these, these people who Jesus speaks against. But, Father, we would, like the widow, give all that we have to you, even if it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But, Lord, it makes sense in your time. Father, help us to shore ourselves up this morning. Thank you for our moms. Thank you for our dads. Thank you for our families. Father, we again pray a special blessing on those who've lost children, who, who are uh, without mothers, Lord, who are trying to have kids who cannot. For those who have the regular life of a family with a mom and a dad, we thank you for everything. Father, use it all for your glory. Bring comfort, bring strength. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You guys may be seated. Thank you so much. Well, as we continue on... Uh, what I've decided to do is I've tried to break this up, and in good Southern Baptist style, it's alliterated so you can follow through with that. But the first thing I want you to see is these false teachers, the, the identity of these false teachers is their prideful appearances before others. And you see there in verse 38, Jesus was teaching. Isn't this what Jesus always did? He always taught everywhere he went. It's kind of like when you ask a pastor to speak, you're probably going to get a sermon, not a, not a short thing. That's how it goes. But Jesus came and he taught. And this, it wasn't an interruption. If you remember last week, Jesus had already been teaching in the temple, verses 35 to 37. But in his teaching, he said, beware of the scribes. And that word beware is going to be used in the coming weeks as we continue through Mark 13. He's still teaching in the same area, the, the large area of Solomon's porch. But he's saying, beware of the scribes. Beware of these people who literally are by the book. They look at the law, they interpret the law, they give it to the religious leaders, the talking points, if you will, and they, they teach it to the masses. But the problem was, if you're a scribe, you don't get paid. The problem was, you basically do pro bono work for the glory of God. So comes with that, the desire, if you're a scribe, is to honor God and give these things, but you want your share of the pie. You want your share in the wealth and the inheritance, and so... They were the power behind the throne, the legalist of the highest order. But Jesus is going to call them out because he sees that although they don't get paid vocationally, they're taking advantage of people professionally. So notice first what he says there in verse 38. 
He says that these false teachers, they, they desire attention. Did you notice that? Verse 38, he says, in, they walk around in long robes. Now, if you're a Jew in, 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 the, in those days, you're going to be walking around in a long robe. That's just what you do. And, and as Nelson read a couple weeks ago for us from Deuteronomy 6, they had tied the word of God all over them. But sometimes these scribes would literally put on such long tassels, almost like the, uh, um, what's the word, uh, the, the bride, I can't, the train of the bride uh, kind of thing. And they would walk around. So when they came into town, you knew who they were. Now, people never come to church like that, do they? People never dress so flamboyantly coming to church. They just get, a, get, just get noticed. But this is what they did because they couldn't get money, or at least they didn't get money professionally. So they had to look other ways. And Jesus reminds them that over the years they'd embellished the fact that they were putting the word of God on them physically, but they didn't have it internally, spiritually. Matthew 23, 5 says they loved to be seen by others. Notice, secondly, in verse 38, they disliked alternative applause. They wanted it to be all about them. It's like, uh, you know, a kid who you're talking among adults, and the kid is pulling on mom and dad's thing and saying, look at me, look at me, look at me. And so, too, these leaders. It says in verse 38 that they love the greetings in the marketplace. Hey, scribe, how you doing? Hey, man, how you look good today, man. Woo, look at you. They loved it. They love being formal. They love being recognized. They love getting the attention. And if someone else was applauding someone else, ooh, they hated that. That's why it's very, very cautious that we call people the father or honorable one or something like that. Friends, be careful. Some people will strut sitting down, won't they? By Jesus uncovering this, he's saying that God doesn't recognize them. God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble, and he likes clean hands and a pure heart. It's one thing to be respected by men. It's another thing to be respected by God, and there is a difference. But notice, thirdly, they not only do those things, but they also divert attention. Did you notice that? How do they get their attention? It's not just in their physicality, but verse 39 says that they have the best seats in the synagogues. They have the best seats in the synagogues. So if you threw a party back in Jesus' day, they would go through and basically uh, invite one person to sit in the middle. And by sitting in the middle, you wanted to be next to that person. And they would make their way up, the scribes would, right next to the person of honor and set to their left and to the right. That way, when people looked at them, they said, hey, did you know that scribe Darren was by such and such last night at this dinner? He must be pretty important. But people never do this in churches, do they? <laughs> Come on now. And it's very interesting because if we want to please God, it doesn't matter who we displease. And instead of being the humble servants they were called to be, they were the ones who actually did the things that God said not to do. You notice also, and it kind of goes along with that, fourthly, in verse 39, they dominated the appearances. Did you see that? They dominated the appearances. They wanted the places of honor. They had the best seats in the synagogues and the best places of honor. Wherever they had a chance to elevate their name, they did. It's like those people on Facebook, if you have a Facebook, that they friend you just to sell you a product. You've had that happen before? Like, hey, we went to high school together, and I haven't talked to you in 20 years, but I want to meet you. How old are you? You have such a pretty family. 
oh, by the way, would you like to buy my product? I sell from home so I don't have to work a job. <laughs> That's what they did. Because everywhere they went, it was about me, 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 me. They wouldn't say that, but their actions did that. And this is why, and I don't have time to read it, but in Luke 14, Jesus tells them about those who are invited to the wedding feast. And he says in verse 11 of chapter 14 of Luke, For whoever wants to exalt himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Not only that, but number five, how do you identify a false teacher? They devastate all those who have been abandoned. Look at verse 40. They devastate all those who've been abandoned. They devour widows' houses. Now, this is not a real, they don't go up and be like, jaw style, eat the house. That's not what Jesus is saying. But they take advantage of lonely women. They took advantage of women who were widows, whose husbands had died, whose families could not take care of them. They were those who literally would go up. And we have accounts from this from Josephus where they would say, hey, I, I'm so sorry that you lost your husband. Can I help you? Oh, by the way, you know what? It might help you if you gave me your bank account number. And whenever you need help, I'll just withdraw at will. It's called petty cash. That's what we call it. And I'll just withdraw at will whatever you need. And oh, by the way, I don't have a place to stay. Could I stay in your house? And you know what would happen over time? They would literally devour the widow's house. They would get their name on the checks. They'd get their name in the, in the deeds. They'd get their name in the will. And this is how the leaders of Israel were leading the people. Crazy. So what do you do? Well, the woman couldn't pay, so yeah, you can come to my house. And, and oh, by the way, uh, I know I don't have anyone else to give this to, so I guess I'm going to give it all to you. They took advantage of gullibility of ladies who were trusting for their own gain. You see why Jesus had a different voice for them. And finally, guys, they corrupted the word of God. You're supposed to take care of the widows, the fatherless, and everyone else. But they made them even worse. The scribes are abusing the wealth of the widows and corrupting the very word of God. And you notice there, it also talks about how they grew greater condemnation. And why did they do that? Because they like to talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. You ever been in a prayer meeting before and you've been praying and someone prays and you're not even sure what they're praying for anymore? You lost it five naps ago when you fell asleep five times. Friends, these people love to pray. And Jesus told them in Matthew chapter 6 that you don't go and pray in the public. Hey, look at me. I'm praying. I'm praying. I'm praying. But this is what they did. Their appearances were all about them. Church, there's a warning for us here as we seek to identify these false teachers is that this is why, as John MacArthur said, that these people, quote, receive a far greater damnation because of the false religion and the rejecting of Christ. Did you notice that? Jesus said at the end of verse 40, they will receive greater condemnation. That word condemnation is the same word that's used when speaking of hell and eternity away from Christ. It's serious business on Mother's Day for this. I just want to read this to you. I think he did the best way. But J.C. Ryle, the great uh, Anglican pastor of days gone by, one of the best writers of our day, so simple, so theological, he said, let us learn from these verses how easy is the sin of hypocrisy in the sight of Christ. He exposes some of their notorious practices, their love of honor, their love of money, their love of public devotion, their love of men thinking highly of them, 
and he winds it up with saying, they will receive greater condemnation. Let us shrink back in horror that pure and undefiled religion would get mixed with this repulsive work that came from the scribes, end quote. Lord, would you pray in our church that as we serve, as we go through, that we don't try to make appearances, we don't try to be flashy, we don't try to be anything other than faithful people to the word of God. Isn't that what Timothy was told in Paul's first letter to him? Timothy, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to live a quiet life in all godliness, praying for your officials and trusting your mediator, Jesus Christ. This is why we don't need to walk around doing Facebook Live every update. about. That's what I love about social media because I may not eat dinner, but I'll get like five pictures from people who do. And I'm like, I really didn't know you needed to eat that, but that's kind of interesting. Look, be careful. Be careful how you post things on social media. Be careful how you present yourself at church, be, not just physically but spiritually. Be careful that you don't walk in like the scribes would and said, man, I've been praying all night. I'm so tired. Be careful how you wear your spirituality, your Christ-likeness around other people because it's not about our appearances. It's about Christ glorified. Second thing I want you to see, not only did these false teachers have prideful appearances, but they were also predatory, like a shark circling around the waters of fish and, and blood in the water. And, and, and you may look at your Bible and you say, well, how do we go from Jesus teaching here to this old lady over here? Friends, it's all about false teaching. That's what it's about. It's not about giving necessarily. It's about false teaching. It's about corruption. So let's read verses 41 and 44 one more time as we look to apply this. Verse 41 and he sat down. Who is that? The Jesus sat down opposite the treasury. So at some point, he stopped teaching. He moved over to the box, the treasury, and watched the people putting in to the offering box. Many rich people came with large sums, and a poor widow came and put two small copper coins, which made a penny. And he called the disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all who are contributing to the box. For they contribute out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Well, I want to remind you, this passage is not about giving. This passage is not about giving. It talks about giving, and at the end of our sermon, I'll give you some principles about giving as reminders. But this is what we call an indicative statement. This is a story. It's descriptive. It's telling you what happened. Jesus did not give a command here to say, go do what the widow did. He just simply told the story. Mark recorded it. Mark wants to show us that a full-blown judgment has come against these scribes. He's going to show you practically how the scribes have influenced one old lady. We don't know her name. We don't know her circumstances. We know nothing about her except that she had great faith in a mighty God. And that's why I love this, because Jesus is an expository preacher. He preaches through the Bible. He takes it through the Bible. He's connecting dots. And it's not a coincidence that he speaks to these problems. But the first thing these false teachers do, and I want you to see this, is they misdiagnose the Father. They misdiagnose the Father. Did you notice that? Look back at verse 41. He observed what they were doing. Can you imagine if Jesus were here physically? And he watched that offering plate go across. How would that make you feel? Some of you would be dialing in your bank account ready to spill it all in that offering plate if you could, wouldn't you? Because Jesus is watching. And yet these people who came to him in verse 41, it was not about what they give, but it was how they gave. Did you notice that? 
Jesus wasn't concerned about what they gave. It's how they gave. He sat opposite the treasury, and he watched the people. Praise God, Jesus is always watching. Amen, church? He's always watching. Proverbs 15, 3, he beholds the evil and the good, the eyes of the Lord. And their giving mattered to Jesus. It was a barometer of their spiritual soul. How much did not matter, but how they were giving mattered. And they came to these large 13 chests. I, if you missed the Awana program on Wednesday night, uh, uh, the family night, uh, Sister Patsy was an angel and some other people made it work. But we had a shofar, one of those ram's horns, you know, the that wake you back up. Do that again. That thing. And they used to take those boxes and you would come up with your coins and you would dump them in there. And it's like, it's like when that guy at the, you know, when you go to the Chuck E. Cheese and someone puts in a $20 bill, it's like they won the jackpot. Ding, 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 ding. And all the coins come out. Well, that's what these people were doing. They were taking the coins, all these big amounts, and they were putting them in that shofar, and it just makes a lot of clanking. Clank, 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 clank. But they misdiagnosed the father. Jesus was not concerned with how much they gave. He was concerned about how they gave it. And guys, there is a difference. You can drop a million-dollar check in this offering, and your heart is so far away from Jesus that it matters not at that point. So what do we do, Pastor? Do we go and get a, check their hearts before you give? No. But Jesus is reminding us here that we're not to advertise ourselves. We're not to promote ourselves. Hey, I just posted a $1,000 check to the church treasury. Well, good for you. The left hand shouldn't know what the right hand is doing. The amount is important to God, but what is primary is that which, how it is carried out. It, it's hard for us to know that. And so do you? how do you do this? Well, they miscalculated the father because they forgot he is watching. Friends, you can put a dollar in that offering plate. And if your heart is set ablaze for God, that's what matters most. Amen? You can give $1,000 and be cold stone machine and give it out of nothing. And you can be no better than the scribes in that sense because you're just giving it to give because that's what you're told to do. It's a matter of the heart. They misdiagnosed the father because they forgot they were concerned more about public appearance than they were about the heart. Secondly, notice verse 42. They misled the faithful. Did you see that? Verse 42, they misled the faithful. And so this lady comes, a poor widow came to put in two small copper coins, which was a penny. This is what really got his attention, this one poor widow. It literally means in the Greek, one, one super poor widow. She's in extreme poverty. She's not just a peasant with a little. She's a beggar. She's down to nothing. This is it. She would have been frail-looking, maybe bent over. And the contrast here is striking. You have these scribes who are into everything. They, they have long prayers. They have the best seats. And then here comes Grandma walking over here to give everything she's got to the box. And the reason she's poor is that verse 40 told us already why she's poor. They had stripped her of all her money. They'd already taken it. They'd extracted from her that which was supposed to be hers that her husband had saved for her. They took undue advantage of the loss of her husband. They misled the faithful because they exploited her. They duped her. They took advantage of her. How dare a church do that to anybody? Guys, I want to promise you that as you give your offerings to this church, whatever amount that is, that we want to do it with the best conscience we have. 
that when we make decisions, let's be transparent here. I don't know if Judy's in here. Judy's back there. You know, Judy had worked for a company for years that just jacked up the price of Internet. And she's got a lot of connections to that price. We're thinking about switching Internet providers in order to save the church close to five to $600 a year that has better speed anyway. We want to be good with what we have here. I'm not going to tell you which one's which. You have to figure that out. I guarantee it's not Net Zero or Yahoo. That's, that's the best thing you need to know. But the point of the matter is, is that wasn't anything we've done, but we want you to know when you give, we, want, we don't want to mislead you. When you give, we want to be honest with our funds. We want to be transparent with our funds because we're not about us. We want the glory of God to cover this place, and that starts with your faithful giving. She could have played the card and come to their level. She could have said, you know, I'm not going to give anything. I'm just going to make excuses, but she didn't do that. She gave, even though she was being misled, she gave. And no matter how many wolves are after her, this woman came to the temple to worship the Lord, and she gave everything that she had because she wanted to honor the Lord. And she gave, did you notice that phrase there? She gave two small copper coins, or basically it was worth one-sixty-fourth of a day's wage. Someone would work 64 days to earn what one would here. She's down to nothing. The word for that copper penny, literally, it's, it's the English word we get the word leaf from. It's so frail, when she put it in the box, you'd have had to strain like this. It's how some of you snore at night, meaning you don't snore. It wasn't like the whoosh, whoosh noise, or the clank, 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 clank. could barely be heard. But she was faithful to give, even though she was being misled to line the pockets of the very people Jesus had just been denounced. What a lesson for us. She said, if God can take care of the fields and the birds, he can take care of me. And that's what God is going to do. So false teachers not only misdiagnose the father, they concerned about more about how much you give than how you give, but they also misled the faithful by saying, you must give everything to us or we will devour you even more. Notice thirdly here, they misunderstand the faith. Look back at verse 43. They misunderstand the faith. Verse 43 says, and Jesus speaking, and truly I say, I, I say to you, the poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the box. Jesus says, truly I say to you, some things he says are more important than others. This poor widow in her abject poverty gave everything. She gave greater. She gave with sacrifice. She gave with spirituality. She gave out of self-denial. And all these other people were bringing all their stuff. That's why, you know, you get asked that question every now and then. Hey, pastor, I got a question for you. If I win the lottery, how much does the church want? Is that number clear enough? Do I need to put it over my eyes? We don't want it. We don't want filthy lucre. We want a heart that's given to God that, that has been worked for by you and given by you under the lordship of Jesus Christ because he saved and redeemed your soul. Friend, we don't want secondhand, look at me, I'm giving a big check. That's why we have to be careful. Can I speak a little further to this? That's why we have to be careful about putting plaques up on the wall. Because you know what happens over years? That plaque becomes so sacred, we cannot touch it. And when we can't touch it, we can't make changes. Friend, we give, we serve, we live by faith in Jesus Christ. Anything else is sin. 
This is not a rebuke to her, but a praise of her. And they misunderstood the faith because they believed the more they gave, the more God loved them. Oh, hogwash, that's not right. Friends, God loves you no matter if you can only bring a penny or you can bring a million pennies. God still loves you if you're faithful to him. That's why I love our church. Guys, we don't have a big budget. We don't have a big, robust building. I know sometimes we walk in here and say, man, if we could build this out. And maybe God will bless that. We'd love that. But let's be faithful with what we have because you know what? We don't misunderstand the faith to think that we have to have the biggest stuff for God to use us. Thank you for your reminder, brother, this morning that simple faithfulness is all we need to be used by a mighty God. Finally, verse 44, they miscalculate the focus. They miscalculate the focus. Verse 44, for they all contribute out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty gave everything. They gave out of what was unnecessary. They gave out of their slush fund. They gave out of their extra spending money. They gave out of their, yeah, that's not going to hurt my bottom line. But she gave everything. She was not like those scribes who did it for gain. God was using her to show them that it doesn't matter how much you give. It matters how your heart is before God. This is why the big idea comes up. We're not here to entertain goats. We're here to build up the sheep. And often building up the sheep is going to look a lot different than entertaining the goats, non-Christians. That's why Jesus had two voices, guys. God is purifying his church. Let us search our heart and our life and cling to his grace and not take the focus off the proper thing. The focus is no matter what you got, give it to God. If you can't do physically what you used to do before, it's enough for God to still use you. If you're as strong as you're ever going to be, I started running lately again, trying to qualify for the Boston Marathon, and I can tell you I'm sucking wind, more than I've ever sucked wind in a long time. <laughs> Things I used to be able to, to click, and brother, you know this from our, our running days, I used to be able to click off these miles at this point, and man, that's like my fastest mile it used to be my warm-up mile. How did that happen in 10 years, you know? But God is good. Use what you have for the glory of God. Don't take your focus. It's not about the amount, the ability. It's about the faith behind the amount, the faith behind the ability. And church, that goes for us too. We can smash the world with our programs, but if we're not smashed up in our heart with a love for Christ, it matters not. I hope you see that. Don't take your focus off the proper thing. Loving God, loving others, and making him known is really what the life of Christians all about. So let me give you some lessons on giving. This is a shorter sermon than usual, but let me just give you some lessons quickly, and we'll go through these. Amy, if you just want to put them all up. Uh, Amy's good at the machine gun approach. She just goes boom, 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 and they just all show up. But Jesus values how we give, guys. He really does. He values how we give. It, he still sits opposite the treasury in this church and values how you give. Please hear me clearly. If you grew up in a church where you didn't go to church because you were worried the pastor was going to ask you for money, that's not the plea I'm making to you today. If you hear that, you're hearing a wrong voice. The plea I'm making you today is before you give, would you prayerfully consider how you give? Well, Darren, are you talking online, in person, by check, by cash, by money? That's not the purpose. The purpose is how are you giving? Are you giving because you have to give or are you giving because you want to give because Christ gave to you? That's the question. Secondly, Jesus sees how we give. He has supernatural knowledge. He knows why it was given. Well, the church told me I got to give this money, or there's a tax write-off, or, or you know what? My, uh, my tax accountant knows that I give this much at church, and if I don't give that much this year, when I give him the letter for taxes next year, 
he's going to think I'm a bad Christian because I didn't give it enough. Those are wrong motivations for giving, folks. Jesus sees and knows, look, if you can't contribute much and give what you got, but do it with a heart that's set to glorify God. And he discerns how we give. Again, it's not the amount. Jesus sees how much is left over and evaluates the whole. He cares how much sacrificially, liberally, and cheerfully we give. And can I say this too? He rewards those people who give. He does. Isn't that what, you know that phrase, it's better to give than to receive. That sounds like a Hallmark card thing, but it's actually from Acts 20. Paul told Jesus that. And so it's better to give than to receive. When you give, you get the blessing of giving, don't you? Why do people serve often? It's because they like to get blessed. I'm not a prosperity preacher, but the Bible says if you give, God will bless you. Not in some Lamborghini kind of way. <laughs> you might get a Dodge Neon this time or a Geo Metro, but not, maybe not a Lamborghini. All right. But what we know is this. Christ exemplifies how we give. He gave his all, did he not? He gave his life for us. None of us can outgive him. He's a model and an example. He who was rich became poor, that we who are poor might become rich. And finally, a word on false teachers. I just want to say this quickly and, and for sake of time, but false teachers prove the Bible is true. False teachers prove the Bible is true. Jesus said it was going to come. There are going to be people who say, I'm he, I'm the one. And yet false teachers show that Jesus knew what he was talking about. I look forward to the day when we don't have to check on someone's theology before we promote them from the pulpit. Because in heaven, guess what? All theology has been ironed out. All dot, I's have been dotted. All T's have been crossed. And we worship the Lamb together. Amen? That's what we look forward to. But false teachers prove the Bible is true. Why do people who, who decry the name of Jesus prosper? Because it proves their sinfulness and their wickedness even more, just as God said. But guys, I want to say also that false teachers are God's judgment on us. Isn't it true that when Israel rebelled, that God let them have what they wanted, and he sent them what they wanted? Just because false teachers are around does not mean God is not faithful. In fact, he is. He's separating, he's separating the sheep from the goats. He's separating those who know him from those who don't. That's the difference. And finally, we don't want to be boring teachers, but it's better to be a boring teacher than a false teacher. Let me say that again. We don't want to be boring teachers. That's why every now and then I'll throw in a little, uh, you've, you're very gracious to me in my jokes. Uh, it's probably more laughing at the mannerisms than the person, but you understand. We don't want to be boring. We're not trying to entertain you. God's word is exciting, amen? It is. Guys, we have a risen Jesus. He's coming back. He's already risen. And it's not just three weeks ago on a cultural holiday called Easter. It's every week you are celebrating Jesus Christ smashed out of the grave and lives again. That's not boring. Now, I can get up here and I can read sheepishly and do those things, but if I come at you with the word of God, it doesn't matter how it's presented. It matters what is being said. Do you understand that? Church, one day I'm going to be replaced as your pastor. I don't know anything more at this point than you do. But I will be replaced. You don't hire out of personality. You don't hire because they're slick speaking. You don't hire because they can really razz up a crowd. You hire because they faithfully preach the word of God. Do you understand? So many churches act like the scribes. We want the best, the brightest, the most built, the strongest, the fastest, and this, 
and that person isn't teaching a lick of God's word. He's teaching only his experiences and some, some little proverbs that grandma gave him one day that are good and true, but aren't necessarily the word of God. There's a reason why Paul was probably four foot nine and was a little grunt of a guy. And when the Corinthians wrote to him, they said, he's mighty in his letters, but when he comes, he can't speak with the best of them. But Paul said, I just came preaching Christ and Christ crucified. Church, our message is not built on what we bring to the table. It's what Jesus already laid on the table. It's himself, and that's all we got. And that separates us from the false teachers. Look, I am not the most exciting preacher. I'm not the most exhilarating preacher. But I pray by God's grace, as much as I fumble, we stay faithful to the word. And thank you for holding us as pastors to that. Will you pray with me as we close this morning? Father God, we come before you thanking you for this day.